Hey guys, Wes here. And when you hear this music, you know what time it is. It's commercial time on the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. What are we here to talk about again today? Guess what? It's Dancing with the Knoxville Stars. You know why? I'm a star. I don't know if you've noticed this the past couple weeks, but I was named a star. So congratulations to me. And I'm dancing with local professional Rachel Enriquez for charity. It's the East Tennessee Children's Hospital is, is the benefit here. Saturday, April 14th at the Knoxville Convention Center. Dinner starts at 6 p.m. Show starts at 7 p.m. What is Dancing with the Knoxville Stars, guys? It is eight of us local so-called celebrities, which is really funny to say that word, but we are getting together to dance for charity. We each are paired with a local professional. Who's going to be there? There's going to be a lot of us there. I'm going to be there most importantly. Also, Leslie Ackerson from WBR, Tyrone from Star 102.1, Heather Haley from WVLT, Laura Helm from WATE, Lisa Henderson, who's a former professional cheerleader, Sarah Mitchell, former sports reporter here locally, did some work with UT and Channel 8. She'll be there. Also, Dr. Amit Patel from East Tennessee Children's Hospital will be there, and art patron and philanthropist, the lovely, uh, lovely Sylvia Peters will be there. And as you said, most importantly, people get to watch and laugh at you. So that's that's the greatest thing about this. Yes, it is. Aside from helping kids. And how do you do that, guys? You go to etch.com slash dwtks, etch.com slash dwtks. Let's say that you want to give us some money, but you don't want to pay $75 for a ticket. You don't want to pay $400 for a table of four, which comes with complimentary champagne. If you don't want to do that, you can just go to this site. You can click on my name. You can donate just a couple of bucks. Every bit helps, guys. We're going to have some fun with this. If you want to come, April 14th, Knoxville Convention Center, etch.com slash dwtks. One more time, etch.com slash dwtks. What is it, Ryan? I wasn't paying attention. ETCH.com slash DWTKS. There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right. Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. Punched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Spring football time? Sister Jean time? Too soon time? Whatever. It's football time. Whatever time of day it is. It's the right time for the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker alongside Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan here in Fort Rucker studio. And for those of you who were waiting on our basketball postseason finale, just to give you a heads up, Ramey and I will be recording that hopefully on Friday morning or Friday afternoon. It's been a long couple months for us and i think we got home and both said uh let's try to not do as much for a couple days so we're going to get to that obviously a painful exit for tennessee great game but shouldn't have lost it we will go into all of that in greater detail talk about what's next for tennessee as it moves forward with the basketball program trying to kind of put this this sting this pain away and move on but right now we're talking about football in case you've been under a rock for the past several months, 
Hey guys, Tennessee has a new football coach, by the way, Jeremy Pruitt. He and his staff have started spring practice, opened with Tuesday work on Haslam Field back on Thursday. No interviews that day. We did get to watch practice, though, guys. We did get to watch a good solid 12 or 13 minutes of practice. So now that we've seen that, we've seen all of that practice, all of probably 12 minutes times two days, what are we expecting from this Tennessee football team? Completely, everything accurately, full season, go. 15-0. That's what I was going to say. I mean, why not? They just hired the next Saban. We haven't seen them make any mistakes, really, because they haven't been playing against one another for the most part. It's all been individual drills that we've seen. Yeah, and and I I can speak for myself here, but it's really lovely to not have to hear that microphone anymore in practice. It is very different. It it hit me more the second day than it did the first day. It was like, wow, this, this really isn't coming back. Like, this isn't just a trial run. Like, there is no microphone and nobody screaming anything between period they, they just have to know where to go was there any music on thursday i don't know and i don't no, no I, i've been led to believe there will not be any music uh during practices that that is not M- music going is, to happen music is for sissies no circle of life r.i.p yeah i think this is this is gonna be a staff that will say get yourself fired up if you can't get ready for football practice without music you're not our type of guy or we will light into you yeah that too <laughs> if you're not focused yeah, and ready to go i like not having the the microphone because that voice is one that should not have to be put on blast all the time to, for everyone to have to hear. But I, I, I don't see the big deal with the, the practice music thing. I think that would have been, I think that would have been fine. I mean, a lot of pro teams do that too. I, I don't see a real issue with that. But regardless, it is certainly a brand new era for Tennessee football, and we will be talking about all of that here very shortly. That's the uh, obviously the main entree. For, for this week's podcast. But when you hear this sound, itinerary. What Wes, we got to talk about today, Wes guys? has a plan. We have a plan, and by that I mean I wrote a couple things down on a legal pad. That is uh, that is basically what, uh, that's as far as we go here. We don't have a script. We do have an outline, so we got to talk about this settlement between Tennessee and now former athletic director John Curry. We got to talk about a big defensive tackle who has left the Tennessee football program. Got to talk about some position changes, some guys in new spots, at least to start spring practice, and some things that we've seen from the new staff, some some changes uh, in the way things are going now. So we'll, we'll get started uh, with the report that first surfaced in the commercial appeal in Patrick Brown's Memphis, Tennessee. Shout out to the 901. 901. A uh, good report there by those guys. They, they broke that story, and then Tennessee released a statement saying that it has reached an amicable resolution settlement with now former athletic director John Curry, who who was suspended with pay, but still Tennessee's athletic director technically, even though Philip Fulmer was also the athletic director in one of those only at Tennessee moments uh, kind of things. But Tennessee is going to pay him uh, a total of $2.5 million for that four months. It's going to get about $2.2 million and change. Uh, by April 1st, plus the money that he's accrued with his salary between December 1st and this current day here. So uh, that's. I'll just throw this out there. I, if anyone wants to reach an amicable settlement with me, $2.5 million will accomplish that. That's, yeah. all I, that's all I really need. Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, if, I, if I reach an amicable resolution settlement, uh, I would take 2.5. Now, I might push for 2.6 or 2.7 because market value, but. It, you know, at the end of the day, if they're like, you know, 2.5, take it or leave it, I'll probably take that. 
Now, now let's let's note it does. It sounds like a lot of money, obviously, on the surface for an athletic director, a position that you know, if you're a, if you're a fan of a school, you would prefer if your school spends that money buying out coaches who didn't work out rather than athletic directors. It's obviously not ideal to be paying that much money to an outgoing AD who who uh, went down in a blaze of glory within his first um, first year on the job. Yeah, that escalated quickly there after about yeah. eight months, didn't it? But um, you, So it's not ideal, but Tennessee is saving some money here, and that's why, hence, it's a settlement. Obviously, they both sides gave something. So Tennessee saved itself money from if they had just fired him. They're paying about, what, half of what they would have owed him if they had, if they had fired him? Yeah, it seems to me like they... Well, he, he okay. his salary was... $100,000 a month. No, his salary was oh, I'm sorry, nine hundred thousand dollars a year, which is seventy five thousand a month. Thousand a month. So if you were paying him his full buyout, it would have been, uh, I think, at the time when he was put on leave, it was going to be about five point five million because mm-hmm. he was going to be making more per month. More from being fired. <laughs> from than being if he fired, it was a hundred hundred thousand a month. Uh, Whoever negotiated that contract, I need them as an agent and, or something. And, and yeah. you made a good point about Tennessee saving money. They're going to need to save money because they're going to be paying most of Butch Jones's buyout because he's now. An intern <laughs> or analyst or whatever you want to call it. Intern, basically. Ryan. Yeah. Don't intern. ruin the fun. Yeah, it's it's That's, intern. That was the first the fact that he led with that. I mean, the first word out of Nick Saban's mouth when describing what Butch Jones is is an intern. So that's what it is. Yeah, he, he's an intern. And by the way, we, we're going to give a plug here to uh, the Butch Intern Twitter account. It, it it surfaced on Thursday, and it's magnificent. And if you have not seen this, you can just go search Butch Intern on Twitter and enjoy it because, at least for now, it is quite hysterical. Hopefully that keeps up. But, yeah, as soon as Tennessee announced that it was suspending Curry with pay – that, to me, indicated that their first play was to try to fire him with cause. And I said at the time, this is going to lead to a settlement because Tennessee has a good argument about some things from its side that were not fulfilled. And Curry has some good arguments from his side of things that he did not think Tennessee fulfilled. So that looked like the first, you know, and you're, you're in chess and you're moving the pawn forward. That was the kind of the, the move there that Tennessee made at first with trying to, 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 re, to, to say that he was going to be fired for cause. But uh, basically what they've come up with now is saying we fired you with and without cause. So we'll meet you in the middle. We'll pay you 2.5. seems like everybody can walk away from this. If not happy, at least satisfied. Yeah. And a lot of people just on the surface would say, well, trying to hire Greg Schiano is enough reason <laughs> yeah, that... uh, to, to be caught, you know, to be considered for cause. Um, and legally, you know, legally for causes, there's, it's a def- much different. What's the word I'm looking for? Standard, yeah. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of legal situations like this, so yeah, I mean, it was pretty clear it was going to be a settlement, and um, I guess Curry might be doing his Robert Morris deal right now, his business school, yeah, residency, whatever he's, he's it is. Going to business, is, is he a business school intern? I don't know, but if I'm there, I'm asking, hey, uh, how can I get two point five yeah. million dollars as a failed athletic yeah. director? John, who was your lawyer, and uh, is he taking more clients? That would be that would be my first question. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's about the outcome I would have expected. It it seems like a a very much a meet in the middle. It's it's almost exactly half of what it's Tennessee like, would have owed. Yeah, him. They a wrote less than half, maybe. Yeah, they rochambeaued it and met somewhere near the middle. Yep, that seems to be working out. So now Tennessee no longer has two athletic directors. Yeah, uh, one who is working and one who is not working. Now it is uh, legally speaking just Philip Fulmer's athletic and, department. And their third and and the guy that was. Was he two athletic directors ago? Is now back in the game. Dave Hart. Yes. He's working as a special advisor 
uh, going back to his roots at East at Carolina. Carol- East Carolina is going to get to hire their new basketball coach. I'm not sure. I don't believe they've made a hire yet. They don't have an AD right now, so maybe he's trying to weasel his way back into that job. Weasel, that's a bad word. I shouldn't use that. Uh, they, <laughs> Finagle his way into yeah, that job. Yeah, maybe maneuver, he's trying to get maneuver. a foot in the door and ultimately take that over. I wasn't trying to be like Dave Hart's a weasel. I think Dave did some good things here. He had to be sort of a... He did. He got fired in part by doing the things he was asked to do. He had to be sort of a hard ass. Can I say that? Yeah. This is a, okay, yeah. so... Uh, and that was what Tennessee needed. He did hire Rick Barnes. He sort of lucked into Rick Barnes after the Donnie Tyndall fiasco, but... Looks like a really, really yeah. It looks good hire. now. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I don't think I'm. I have any. That was the obvious choice, and he yeah. made the obvious choice. Sometimes I, I don't it's ha- so obvious that you need to do it. Yeah, I don't have any designs on going after Hart on this. I, I think that while I would have liked to have seen Dave retire, it seemed to me pretty clear that knowing Dave, I've you know I've covered him and his family, you know his son who's an athletic director also, I've known them for a while, and Dave, as soon as he left Florida state with that kind of bad taste in his mouth. He wanted to go somewhere and kind of fix, fix his image on the way out the door. And when that didn't happen at Tennessee, you know, he could have gone two ways from that. He could have said, okay, it's just, it's just not meant to be, I'm going to retire and hope history is kind to me. Uh, but he wanted to get back in the game because he's a worker. That's what he wants to do. And he's going back to his roots because he was the AD at East Carolina before he went and became the AD at Florida State and, and then at Tennessee. So uh, I guess this is good for him. He, he wants to work, and he's still working. He's an active guy, still works out all the time. So good for you, Dave Hart, getting back into it. And good for you, John Curry, for getting paid. And good on you, Tennessee, for finally trying to maybe get this thing settled because – it's just this rotating door of administrators and coaches. The world is more transient now than it's ever been, but at some point you just have to get things settled. And I think going with Fulmer, bringing in a guy uh, to coach football uh, like Jeremy Pruitt, who, who's kind of a good Southern guy, uh, he understands the people around here, understands the the job he has in front of him, understands the role, I think understands the role of what's going to be expected from him. Maybe it's good for Tennessee, you know, with Rick Barnes doing what he's done with basketball. You can maybe see some silver lining here. You can see some light at the end of the tunnel. Obviously, the women's basketball situation is still a mess. We'll see what happens there. But going forward, they do have some pieces in place now. A lot of their a lot of their teams are in the top 25 now. It's been worse, certainly, at times than it is now. I think they might be getting this thing to a better place. So we'll move on from that and – Guys, I don't know who's going to bring the boat on home for Tennessee now, but I know it's not going to be the guy who used to bring that boat on home, and that's defensive tackle Quay Piku. He has decided to transfer from the University of Tennessee. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt had left that kind of open-ended early in the week, saying that Piku was not with the team uh, right now, but he didn't have any kind of finality to it. Uh, but then I think when, when Piku came out Thursday afternoon and, and tweeted kind of a farewell to Tennessee and said, I'm going to transfer uh, I, I think that pretty much sets it in stone. Uh, they're going to be parting ways. And what does this mean for Tennessee? You know, this is a guy who's not maybe a world beater, uh, but a guy who 280 pounds or so can walk and chew gum at the same time, could help on the defensive line. It, it It's not a great thing for Tennessee, maybe, that this is happening, but it's not the end of the world. Well, and let's let's put it in perspective of what he actually did when Tennessee had some pretty depleted defensive lines over the last couple of years. He still had 11 career tackles at yeah. Tennessee, so it's not a guy who was a major, major contributor. Played some, some meaningful snaps for Tennessee out of necessity, but really was never a guy that they viewed as an ideal major 
component in their defensive tackle rotation. And now that you're switching to a new defensive scheme that's going to have at least a good number of three three man fronts, uh, you know he, he's a little bit more of an awkward fit probably there. I would, yeah. have, would have had to be more of a defensive end potentially in some of those formations if he was going to play. He might have even been a guy who just only could play in four man fronts still. Um, and and just being in that 280 to 285 range that he was, and, and not the longest guy either. So so you know some defensive tackles can make that work, not being very tall. But that that was one of the, the the things that he had to to work with too. So not a not a bad decision probably for him to use that final year of eligibility to to move on to another program. But you know w- would be interested to know behind the scenes kind of how that came to be if it was kind of his call just just looking around and seeing the situation understand the staff brought in a lot of defensive linemen in this in this 2018 signing class and knowing that it's going to be harder for him to carve out a role or is this Jeremy Pruitt nudging him out the door I don't think it's the latter but but I guess you never know but still yeah again you take a veteran guy out it's it's never ideal but kind of one we could see coming yeah I, I don't I don't think and we've mentioned this before but I don't, I don't know that the staff is in a position numbers wise where they're just going to be running guys off left and right uh, now there there will be some departures on our almost for sure with this, uh, especially after this spring. But, yeah, PQ is a guy, I mean, you, you, you've heard Jeremy Pruitt say a few times now, we need we need bigger guys. We need a, we have a small football team. We need bigger guys. They're bringing in some bigger guys. Uh, if you've seen Greg Emerson out there on the practice field, that is a big guy. Yeah, that is a uh, large mammal. If you've seen pictures of Emmett Gooden, he's a big dude, too. Big dude. Uh, you know, Kingston Harris, Brant Loss, all these guys are, are big bodies that they're bringing in. Uh, and Quay, and Quay Baku is, is big, but he's not that big. Uh, he's not the kind of big that the staff wants. I don't. I don't know if if maybe they approached him out, maybe trying to play offensive line. I don't know if he was if he's got long enough arms to play there either. Um, so, yeah, this seems like a situation where he didn't play much under the previous staff, and maybe he's uh, he's got two years of eligibility left, uh, so he could go to a bigger. You know, he didn't have to transfer down necessarily. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, w- once we notice, there have been rumblings that he might be leaving, and then. We get the roster on Tuesday before practice, and he's not on it, and and then here we are. Yeah, I think and as you mentioned, well, you know, Pruitt kind of left it open a little bit on Tuesday when he said he's not with us for the spring. That's what I thought. Eh, maybe, maybe maybe he's looking road, around. Maybe but, he, maybe but, maybe they had a disagreement, and he's 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 thinking about leaving. But yeah, but Thursday came the sort of finale of that he's he's going to go elsewhere. Yeah, although, although he had said left the team were his words in announcing it, weren't they? So it still yeah. was. It's still sort of strongly hinted at him not coming back yeah and, and I, I think because Piku was never able to get a red shirt you know he's a guy who could go to another FBS program he's a guy who could go to an FCS or D2 program and play now uh, he's a guy who's not a bad football player I think he can go somewhere and get some more snaps and you know he's uh I don't I don't know if I'm going to say that gave his all for Tennessee but uh, he was there for three years and did some things so uh, best of luck to him. He was always a, a treat to talk with. Certainly when the few times we got to interview him were gold because no one his size should have a, a squeaky voice like he does, and it's just really, really fun to hear, and he's a funny kid. So hopefully he goes on and does something uh, with his football career moving forward. Uh, guys, there were also a lot, of, uh, a lot of the same guys that we've seen at Tennessee out there to start spring practice, but a lot of them are in new places. Uh, the, there's some guys out there. I guess we could run down the full list as we know it to this point. But basically, uh, there are some guys who are getting a trial run in some different spots. And, and it makes sense for the staff to do that. You're a little shorthanded at some at some positions. You know, running back, you're trying uh, Carlin Filzami in the secondary, and that's kind of because you need some help at cornerback, and you want to see if Filzami can help there. But by moving in there, 
you kind of create more of a need at running back. So Princeton Fant, a guy who's maybe a little bit of an odd fit uh, for this staff as a tight end, getting a look at running back. Um, Tyler Bird also also getting a look at um, in, in the secondary. You know, it could be cornerback more, it could be safety more. We'll see where he ends up going long term, but looks like he's getting a look there and, and will for, for probably a good bit. I'd be surprised if that's not a longer-term move. Uh, and then uh, also Jay Blakely moving from linebacker, defensive end, sort of to, to tight end to see if he can help there where Tennessee could use some bigger, more physical blockers uh, to help out. They've got some athletic, long pass catchers, uh, guys like Eli Wolf, Austin Pope, James Brown, but not so many of the guys who are big and brawny the way, the way this staff would like to have. Uh, who can really help in the run game. So those are those are the kind of the ones we're focusing on right now, but wouldn't be surprised if you know either one or two of those guys move back to their previous position once they give them a trial run or or if we see even some additional changes throughout the spring. But definitely the time for experimentation and given the situation in a few spots, I think it makes sense to to try it with those guys. Yeah, I think you know we we've discussed the three uh Bird, Phil's me, Blakely. Uh the the newer one I guess is is Fant, Princeton Fant moving from tight end. I guess he came here as a wide receiver, uh, then was a tight end briefly, and then now is, is working at running back. Um, he was listed at 6'3", 216. I don't know if he's, that's what he still is. He's very – he looks like he lives in the weight room. He's a good-looking athlete. And, like, eats protein. Yeah. Just straight protein. Um, so he's a big dude. And, and you know, when you break down break it down, you wonder, you know, does he have the speed and sort of the elusiveness and uh, to be a running back? Uh Having watched him in practice, I think the three of us all have, have talked about this before that he didn't really look like a fluid, smooth athlete as a running a, yeah, as a wide receiver. I, I, I thought tight end on day one. And so, yeah, you like to you like to keep saying that this is like right up there with with Shaq Wiggins, Westerdamas. Don't Hashtag question West it. New. Don't question it. Um, but I mean, you look at this. You know, the staff's going to want bigger running backs. They don't have a lot of bigger running backs right now. Um, they're bringing in two, Jeremy Banks, freshman, Madre London's. I think. About six one, two twenty ish. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, fancy guy that. Uh, I wonder if he doesn't ultimately become a guy they move around. Maybe he could be like an H back. I don't want to say fullback because Wes will get excited. <laughs> um, the maybe, maybe best maybe position in football. Maybe he's a guy that you use in a variety of ways. Maybe as a mismatch guy. Maybe you still line him up in the slot from time to time. Yeah. So I mean, he's he he has the potential maybe to be a versatile athlete so and that's what that's what this spring is for as you touched on Ryan is it's a lot of experimentation you're kind of wanting to see what you've got you've got to evaluate it you've got to install you've got to you know teach these guys how to you know to practice the way that you want them to practice and so uh, the staff's having to balance a lot of things and uh, this is the perfect time to see what you've got on this roster and see if somebody that wasn't in a good position or somebody was in a different position, if they can help you out somewhere else on the field. Yeah, because I think it's, it's fair to say that there are some guys on this team who are good football players and were highly touted recruits for a reason, but they're not guys who this staff would have pursued because they're kind of a, you know, a square peg for a round hole for what these guys want. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you try them somewhere else. You try to fit them in wherever you can, and if it doesn't work, then you talk to the player and say, hey, I think you're a good player, but I think you're going to need to go somewhere where you, you fit better. But right now, as Pruitt has said several times, he was a high school football coach, and sometimes you had really small defensive linemen, and you still had to go out there and make it work. So I applaud the staff for – and really I applaud the, the players because as best we can tell – these guys have had a really good attitude about this. And when you've prepared for most of your life to play a certain position and you've given a lot of time and effort and sweat and blood and all those things and tears to a position, and then a coach says, I want you to be somewhere else. 
it, it, it can sting a little bit. It can sting the ego. It, it, it can rub you the wrong way, and it could be something you have no interest in doing. But as far as we can tell, these guys have all put the team first. They have said, if you need me here, coach, I'll give it a shot. So, you know, kudos to them for, for having this attitude. And, and I think some of these might end up sticking. Uh, I think some of these will, will work out, and I think some probably won't. But I don't think it's a, you know, I don't think it's it's wrong that the staff's doing this. I think you have to figure out where guys fit for what you want, and also sometimes where you have numbers. You know, the, sometimes you might have a, a lot of wide receivers and not enough tight ends, and you tell one of the wide receivers, "Hey, uh, you're going to eat about eight billion calories a day and become a tight end." That, that that's just part of it. Or you tell a tight end, "Hey, keep eating. You're going to be an offensive tackle." Or, or you tell a, you know an offensive tackle, "Hey, um, can you cut a few pounds? And we think you're athletic enough. You you can be kind of an inline tight end. You know, you, maybe a a running back say, "Hey, we don't have any corners on this team. Carlin feels and me. Can you give it a shot? You're a good looking athlete. We could use you over here. And, and we normally want bigger backs anyway. So uh, all of these sort of on the surface makes sense to me. There's, I mean, some of them you look at and you're going to go, huh, like when feels to me, when you first heard that, that's a, that's a bit of a surprise. You, you don't necessarily expect that. But when you see where their roster is and what they're working with and what they're trying to do, I, I can't say that any of these don't make sense. Well, and especially, you know, some of these are just interesting fits because, you know, for Princeton Fant, for instance, he, he's – he played wide receiver and, and pretty much linebacker on defense throughout high school. Tight end even would have been, you know, kind of a long-term project for him. He, he had never really done the, the, the really physical blocking that you have to do as a tight end. So that would have been an adjustment. I mean, you see wide receivers go to tight end. We've seen Jason Kroom and others do it in the past. So it's not unheard of, but that would have even taken some work, but running back is a different mindset and you've got to be willing to really take some hits as a running back that a wide receiver maybe isn't used to taking on a, uh, on a down-after-down down basis. So that's a, that's one that we wouldn't have necessarily seen coming. Carlin Philz and me, I thought at times, was a little bit stiff maybe as a running back. So you wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily think of him as a cornerback where you've got to have really fluid hips and all these things that, that don't necessarily strike you about him. But so far, it looks like maybe an interesting fit. So I think it could work out. Um, so kudos to this staff, I think, for kind of thinking outside the box maybe and seeing seeing some things that people on the surface might not have seen from glancing at these players. But when you look at them and look at the size and speed and all the, the, the general attributes, uh, they make sense for the positions they're being tried at. So I can, I can say that all these at least have a chance to work out. Uh, but I, obviously I think there's a chance also that one or two might be more of just a trial that ends up uh, being short-lived. Yeah, I, I think Fant and Blakely probably fit more into that latter category. I think, I think Bird and Phil's Amir, uh, I think those are more likely to stick beyond mm-hmm. the, first, the the trial period, so to speak, because I think Tennessee is looking for any sort of answers they can get right now at cornerback. Um, so I, I think – and, you know, we we did – it looked like Burke got a little bit of work at safety on Thursday, so maybe they're still trying to figure out where he fits best. They're obviously in a little bit better situation at safety, at least this year, uh, than they are at corner. Next year might be a little bit of a different story when you're talking about losing uh, some couple of experienced guys like Todd Kelly and Mike Abernathy. And if Nigel Warrior continues to go on his trajectory, you could you know it's not a stretch to see him leaving early. So yep. that would leave a pretty big void at safety uh, for you, Phil, too. So, uh, yeah, I, I think those two are, are probably more likely to stick than, than maybe the other two. That's not to say that the other two won't stick, but um, it's a situation where those are seemed a little bit more experimental to, to me. Yeah. Fant might have to stick for death purposes. Yeah, he might. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, there there have been at least. Uh, 
some I mean when you look at the group out there right now it's not a very deep running back group and you're not adding much to it as you mentioned Jeremy Banks coming in Madre London coming in so unless Carlin Fills and me move moves back to running back it's hard to see them really having enough depth to be comfortable if Princeton fan isn't part of the equation there so it, it'll be interesting it's it's a tough one to look at and really forecast how it's going to go but I can certainly see a scenario where Tennessee just needs him there, knowing that at tight end it's going to be hard for him to see the field anyway. You know, one thing that I really like, and I think that this is sort of a, a common denominator that, that we're seeing here, is normally when, when a coach has to be fired somewhere, there's a reason for it. It's because what he was doing wasn't working and you need to do some things differently. And one thing that I've really, really liked from Pruitt so far, and it's been really refreshing just personally – if I can speak candidly here, to, to, to see it, is he does not make excuses. He, he's not big into, you know, he could talk about how the players on this roster weren't a lot of the ones he would have recruited. Some of them aren't big enough. Uh, some of them aren't maybe to the level of guys that he would like to go recruit going forward. But he doesn't say that. He keeps saying, this is what I've got. This is who we are. We're going to do the best we can with it. And he's he's saying we're going to do everything we can do before we even think about making an excuse. We're going to turn over every rock. We're going to look under every corner. We're, we're going to see what we have, and we're going to do the best we can with it. He doesn't complain about numbers. He doesn't complain about the state of the roster. Now, maybe he does that privately. I'd be shocked if he didn't. Sure. But he goes out there publicly and just does not make excuses. And we'll see when they're losing games, which they're going to do this season. If if that happens, then we'll really get the test of his kind of character in, in that. But I just – it's a refreshing to hear a guy go up there and just speak plainly. Yeah, he's, he's not spinning. That's, I think, the main thing that compared to the former staff that I think people are going to be uh, excited hearing that over the next several months. He's not – He's not saying anything about this being year zero or anything like that, but he did say it in his own way, the challenges Tennessee faces this year when at the Nashville post-signing day celebration, I believe it was. He, he mentioned to the crowd there that, hey, sometimes our best, this, especially this year, just probably isn't going to be good enough, and that's just kind of where we are as a program. And I think that's how he's going to go about saying that instead of trying to spin it as, you know, we're starting from scratch or whatever. It's just that we're not there right now, and that's okay and you don't have to, to, to try to put a positive spin on that because people understand it. So uh, I, I think I think it's that. And then also he's been through this before. I mean, remember, he was on the ground floor at Alabama with Nick Saban, and Saban took over a lot of Mike Shula players that ended up being core players for them over the next few years. So he knows he's going to have to play with Butch Jones players, and they're going to be important to him over the next few years. So you can't alienate those guys. You've got to show them that they're your players now, that you believe in them. And uh, so it is important to also embrace those guys while also not making excuses. Yeah, and, and if you go back and look at that first Alabama team, you, you going back and look at it, you'd probably be surprised at how many guys actually ended up playing in the NFL from that team. I mean, that, that cupboard was not left as bare as this one. I think this situation that Tennessee, uh, that, that Pruitt's inheriting at Tennessee is, if it's better than what, than what Dooley and Bush Jones inherited, it, it's probably not by much. Not as much as people thought at first, uh, I think, no. for sure. Um, and, and maybe in terms of just the, the recruiting stars, the number of four- and five-star guys, it's probably more that he's inheriting than those guys did. But still, it's a situation where you're taking over a team that was four and eight, didn't win an SEC game, lost five of those eight SEC games by at least 18 points. So it wasn't a team that was – they got a long way to go just to get to, say, six and six. And then, you know, you, you're playing a, a good non-conference uh, game in your opener. So, But, again, I, I think this staff – I think they know that – 
the roster needs some overhauling in a lot of places. But I also think they view some some potential strengths, and they think they do have some nice pieces that they can build around. And and to me, I think it's a good sign. And maybe I'm reading too much into this. Is that uh, they're being really aggressive on the graduate transfer front. I mean, they're already bringing in uh, Keller Chris. They're already bringing in Madre London. Uh, they had a, another Stanford player, a cornerback, Terrence Alexander, right, uh, come in on a yep. visit this past weekend. So they're trying to be aggressive on that front. And to me, that says we're going to try to win now. And a lot of people, it would be easy for Pruitt to come in and, and, as Wes said, make excuses, say, well, we got a team that doesn't really fit what I want to do. We got to, you know, the void of talent. We got this many offensive linemen. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to get through practices. The other day, on Tuesday, he's saying, well, you know, we, had, we ran through four groups of the offensive line. I don't know how mathematically that was possible. I imagine there were some guys that were running two maybe, teams. Maybe the twos were with the fours and the ones were the threes. Um, but if that's what you got to do to to get the other players on the on the roster at other positions good looks, then that's what you're going to do. You're not, you know, you're, you, it was something that, like you mentioned, Wes. I think Butch would have brought it up that it, he would have been like, "It's really hard to get through a practice when you've only got this many numbers." And Pruitt's yes. like out there saying. I didn't even notice it. <laughs> I don't know how many we've got. We're yeah. just, we've got who we've got, and we're rolling. Almost, so, almost defending it. He, he's like numbers wise, we got about as many as anybody does probably for the spring. You know, he 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 goes out there and he says, you know, hey, this is, this is what we got. What, and, what's the point? Of, I'm not complaining. Let's just go play ball. And, and when he missed out on cor- the cornerbacks that they were very obviously recruiting leading up to signing day, <laughs> he didn't even acknowledge that. Yeah, we would have liked to have had a cornerback. He said, "Who said cornerbacks a need?" You know, he's kind of he's almost defended this roster in some ways as opposed to making excuses, which is an interesting approach and I think refreshing. And, and the way that, that they're going to do practices is that, and, and Brutus said this a couple of times now, they're going to they're going to roll through guys. They're going to give everybody reps. Um, they don't want guys standing around, and, and they're going to coach guys the same way whether or not you're Jared Garantano or whether you're Trey Smith or whether you're a walk-on who's, you know, your non-scholarship player that's out there taking a beating. They're going to give you – they're going to give those guys – the same amount of reps, and they're going to coach them the same way. Now we'll see if that changes at all uh, going into the season when you're game playing and stuff like that. Yeah. For this time, they're you know, you, you got who you got, and you know that's who you're going to coach. That's how coaches are wired. They don't they don't worry about who's not there. They don't worry about that Trey Smith's over on a bike or working on ropes, or that you know Juwan Jennings is working out to the side during practice, or that so and so isn't on campus yet. They're thinking, all right, this is who I got today. I got to get these guys better. And that's yeah. how this staff thinks too, it, because it, that's. Clearly, watching them practice, watching them in practice, they're very hands-on, very much vocal. They're always, you know, they're always talking and instructing and critiquing, and and, and that's, you know, that's just how kind of how they are. You know, it's like when when Patrick came to join us at Go Balls twenty four seven, and he said, "Listen, I could sit here all day and complain about working with a columnist who's an idiot and is going to get me in trouble, uh, and a recruiting guy who's a jerk." And a hoops guy who is an old man trapped in like a, you know, 30-year-old's body basically and goes to bed at like 8 p.m. every night. He didn't complain about those things. He just went out there and he said, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to write the best football stories I can write. I'm going to overcome the people around yeah, me. Yeah, I just, you know what? I'm just going to go out there and you know what? They're, they're, this didn't happen. People. They're not the guys I would have <laughs> picked, but they're the guys that I got. And so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make some lemonade. I didn't That's have what he's trying to do. He's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make written lemonade every day. I didn't have any. I didn't have any guys at the, at the Times Free Press. I had some great support people, bosses, copy editors, TFP for life. Those people helped me out a lot, but I didn't have any like people that I was working with on a daily basis. So I was welcome. How's that transition me. been for you? Uh, it's almost a year. It's almost been a year. So how, how's that transition been? I mean, now that you're working with such great people, I, I love you know, all you guys on a direct <laughs> basis every single day. How's well, that? How's that working out for you? I love you guys. We're a dream team. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I like to think our, too. Our group text. 
I think might might have some some things that. <laughs> Yeah, they they run the they run the full emotional spectrum. Yeah, is what they do during the course of a day. But you you know one thing about you were talking about these graduate transfers with Pruitt, and and that to me also kind of reminds me a little bit of that whole thing when he was a high school coach. You know, when you're a high school coach and you need a defensive lineman, sometimes it's like, hey, anybody know anybody who goes through, who's like to a recent county or anybody whose parents might be moving in, or let's see if we can add this kid as a transfer this year. That sort of approach mindset. That's what the graduate transfer thing kind of is. It's you're not tapping people up, but you're saying, "Hey, anybody know anybody who might be interested? Anybody? Hey, if uh, uh, if one of these kids who's a running back somewhere wants to go get playing time, guys, hey, we we got that playing time here. You know that it, it's what you got to do because, as Pruitt said, this he he has no problems with the personal relationships. He thinks those are great things, but this is a performance based industry. It's performance based. If you win, they're going to love you no matter what. If you lose, they're going to hate you no matter what. So he wants to go out there and win, and he's going to do everything in his power to do that. And he's like, ah, we'll get to know each other along the way, but I want to know what kind of player you are first. Well, and I, I think it is – Patrick made a good point, I think, with the graduate transfers. You know, he's going after guys with one year of eligibility remaining. You know, some grad transfers, you get lucky, and they have two years left. Um, you know, Venzel Bullware, I think, is in that situation with Miami where he's still got a couple years left since he redshirted. Like Dormady, too, te- Dorm- technically, yeah. Well, Dormady has one year to play, though. Yeah. He has okay. the, the redshirt in one year. Some guys, you'll get lucky, and maybe they're a redshirt sophomore coming in as a redshirt junior, uh, and you get them for two years. But he's going after one-year fixes for this roster. And it would be really easy, I think, for a coach in his situation to just say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about doing all the things I have to do numbers-wise to figure out ways to get in one-year grad transfer additions. I'm going to just kind of hold, you know, pocket that scholarship for now, sign another guy in the 2019 class, not worry about having to make the numbers work. He's saying, you know what, it's important for year one to not be as bad as it could be if we just sit here on our hands and don't try to continue improving the roster. And, and I think that's that, that speaks volumes about what he wants to do and how quickly he knows you have to get things on track at an SEC school like this. Um, we saw Derek Dooley, you know, three years and out the door that, you always have to worry about that as an SEC coach. Uh, you know, it's not that he's worried about failing, but it's you're trying to succeed as quickly as possible. And uh, and most people do have it rolling by year three. What's what's the stat historically? Uh, you know, very, well, only one or two head coaches have ever won an SEC title that didn't win one in their first three years at their school, and Philip Fulmer was one of those. So you do have to kind of strike while the iron's hot and and win as quickly as possible. And he's doing everything he can to make sure. Even if it's taking year one from five and seven to six and six, I think he views this as an effort that's worth it, and I think that's pretty telling about the the job he wants to do. And it might not be a stretch for him to say, well, if we could just shore up these couple of positions with a guy, yeah. maybe we could be competitive enough to, to win, maybe exceed what whatever the expectations may yeah. be. And I'm sure he's not caught up in whatever the expectations are. But, you know, if if he's looking at the roster and say, you know, we've got some nice pieces here, but if you know, if we get we shore up the quarterback situation. Now get, we've got, get, get now a we've got deer two, antler spray. Now, yeah, lots of it. <laughs> now we've got two guys there. We need a bigger running back. Maybe he's a guy that can, you know, I, I don't think London's a guy that you, if he's your star, I don't, I don't know that you're in yeah. good shape, but if he's your compliment or your one B, then you, you're probably doing all right. Yeah. And then, you know, they need to, you know, if they can find somebody on the offensive line, I wouldn't be surprised if they pursued that. Mm-hmm. They've already brought a corner in. So, um, the question to me is, is, are you trying to, are you risking robbing Peter to pay Paul? Yeah. Or are you going to be taking up two of these guys? What if they don't pan out? Then you, 
you know, you, you take up spots in the 19 class. I, I think the answer to that is I think the staff is going to do much of what we saw with Butch Jones's staff. I wasn't sure at first that they would approach it this way, but I think they're going to turn over this roster as quickly as they well, can. And yeah, and 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 it's di- it's much more difficult to do that now because mm-hmm. when Butch took over, you know, he, his first two classes were about 30 guys. Yeah, he had six and spots you, to back count, in and his you could, and, and now you can't do that. You know, you, you've got 25. There maybe are ways around it, but yeah. your hard cap is 25, so it's going to be much more difficult to sign those extra but, five guys for two years. But it's 10 extra guys. Yeah, I, th- I just think regardless, they're going to they're going to take those 25 every year until they can't, and uh, and and flip this roster as quickly as they can. And in the meantime, you know, if they can squeeze an extra win out of this team, that that maybe helps you in recruiting. Helps you, you know, even if you aren't much better as a team, if you find a way to get enough talent to piece together an upset somewhere. That can make a splash for you this year. If you find a way to beat Florida at home, even though Florida's not that good, maybe that that makes an impression on people. It, it, or if you beat Alabama, or beat Alabama, you know, whatever. Maybe hey, not. Maybe maybe unlikely. But if you pull off an upset, somewhere, good luck with all of that. If you pull off an upset somewhere in year one, it can really make an impression in recruiting and kind of speed up the rebuilding process. So it's worth it, I think, to make that investment. But I think it is a, a very interesting approach that not every coach would take. Last thing before we get out of here, Ryan, I know that. Uh, it remains to be seen kind of exactly how things shake out this weekend, but but it looks like uh, it might be a, uh, a busy, busy, busy weekend. Uh, there might be a, a lot of a lot of kids in town, especially, I mean, for a for for a spring weekend that's not your spring game. This there looks like they're going to have a bunch of kids in town. Yeah, and it, it's not unheard of, I will say, to have a fairly large visit weekend just for, a, you know, your first weekend spring practice for sure can be almost a junior day basically uh, for a lot of staffs. Butch Jones' staff always had a pretty good turnout for that first Saturday practice of the spring. Uh, you always want to try uh, all those weekend practices are sort of big deals. You want to take advantage of every weekend you can uh, to, to get guys on campus before they turn their attention to their own spring practices in April and May. Uh, but to, to get a, a what looks like a really impressive list of visitors in town this weekend, if, if they all make it, will be huge for Tennessee. Uh, some of the big names that so far are penciled in as of, as of the timing of this recording, uh, Quavaris Crouch, the five-star athlete from North Say Carolina. Say that five times fast. He, he's a, he's a big-time player, so you'll, you'll want to get familiar with that name. Tennessee and Clemson, definitely two of the early favorites there. Tennessee got him on campus in January. Getting him back in town, you know, I think shows they're really a contender there. Uh, along with, uh, I believe it's pronounced Copry Brown, the four-star running back, uh, a friend of his from the Charlotte area. They'll be coming in together, so that's a, that's a big couple of visitors there. Darnell Wright, the five-star offensive tackle from West Virginia who visited Tennessee twice last year. He's coming back this weekend. Uh, Jalen McCullough, a top 100 player, a, a defensive back from Georgia. Uh, Kane Patterson, the four-star linebacker from Nashville. Tyus Fields, a four-star corner from North Carolina, hoping to get a ride. You know, that's just some of the some of the big names so far. So it could end up being a pretty big weekend, it looks like, visitor-wise. And I think you'll see a, a pretty steady stream of visitors throughout the spring. But that first weekend spring practice, you try to try to get as many guys on campus as you can. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes throughout the spring. But definitely, I think you have to be impressed by the guys they've gotten on campus so far. Even last weekend at the end of spring practice or beginning of spring practice, end of spring break, kind of a dead weekend. They got Bill Norton, who ended up committing to Georgia, but a four-star D lineman from Memphis. Kalen DeLoach, a four-star linebacker from Georgia. Joshua Harris, a four-star defensive tackle from North Carolina. Warren Burrell, a, a cornerback target from Georgia. So some some really, really good visitors they've gotten on campus already at least once, in some cases more than once. I know people are looking for the momentum. They're looking for the crystal ball picks, the commitments. I think those will come in time. If you keep getting guys like this on campus, you're, you're going to recruit pretty well, and I think they're off to a good start at least 
laying the foundation for the guys they're going to be recruiting for the next uh, five or six months and even longer in some cases. So we'll we'll see which of these guys make it in, but they've they've done a good job, and it uh, looks like this weekend will be kind of a another junior day to add to the two they had uh, over the past month. Is, is this a couple North Carolina guys? Yeah. And that's, is, that, is it going to be an added emphasis for this staff? It seems too logical not to. I know, was it Mark Elder that had some yeah. decent, did some El- good things there? Elder did a good job in, in the Charlotte area. Tommy Thigpen had, um, had Eastern North Carolina, and they were, they were hit and miss there, but had some success there as well early on. And they kind of went away from it at times. And I think, I don't know if that's because North Carolina wasn't as good in some years in terms of producing top talent as it was in other years, but and also Clemson has made it tough over there. Clemson and other schools kind of yeah. dominate that area. And it, Clemson's rise has made it hard to go into North Carolina and get guys that they really go after. So I think Tennessee maybe shifted some pri- uh, some of its focus to other areas that Midwest. were bigger priorities that where they <laughs> where they could get guys. Louisiana and Florida, I think, were the beneficiaries of that as much as anything maybe. Uh, and, and some of that was, was time well spent. Some of it maybe not. But um, I think North Carolina, like you said, Patrick, it's always got to be important the staff sees – not only is, is that state important to Tennessee whenever Tennessee really has it rolling, but this is a really, really good year in North Carolina. They've already offered a large number of guys in North Carolina. This is a strong class over there, and uh, you know, give them credit for seeing that opportunity. But, yeah, I think it might be a long-term kind of uh, reallocation of resources to make North Carolina a bigger priority than the last staff did. I mean, so it makes sense. It's obviously within that radius yeah. around Knoxville within six hours it, or so and you know they've had a trickle of some good players you know Riley Ferguson Marquez North those are yeah. good players North got Emmanuel Mosley out of there yeah. uh Shy Tuttles North Carolina mm-hmm. uh Mark Osborne yep so they, they've had some success there and Butch Jones' staff you know again all those guys were Butch Jones signees so so give them credit for finding some guys but I, I didn't think it was as consistent as what they should have done this staff I think it, it looks like we'll have a more concerted effort uh to be there consistently and to, to their credit, too, I don't know if this was part of the idea, but it certainly helps. You hire Monterio Hardesty, a guy like that, as a quality control assistant. He gives you ties to eastern North Carolina, so he can handle the eastern part of the state in some cases. Uh, you've got Brian Niedermeyer that's done a good job in the Charlotte area so far. Uh, multiple coaches that will be recruiting that state, so I think it definitely will be more uh, of a priority, and they're off to a good start with some of those guys. Patrick, any, any uh, final thoughts that you got on your mind? Anything you got to get off your chest before we get out of here? Um, no, let me, let me, it's Thursday night. Let me check the Grizzlies score. They're playing Charlotte tonight. Got to see how they're doing. I'm, I'm all in on the tanking. Well, it's okay. Cause I mean, we got three minutes and 29 seconds of this bumper song. So the, the Grizzlies are down 75 to 42 at halftime. <laughs> After they were down 35 last night in, uh, in Philadelphia. Even if they're not trying to tank, hey. they should just say that they, they should just say that they are because well, it's just see, humiliating. When you watch them enough, you know that like they don't really have to try that hard to tank. They're just a bad basketball team when you take away their three best players. Yeah, my, and, my brother's moving to Memphis and, and he's the three going best to, players aren't playing tonight. So there you m- go. Maybe he'll maybe he'll go to open tryouts for it's the bas- it's, <laughs> it's basically a, they're basically auditioning like all of their recent young players that they've added. It's like Dylan Brooks and a bunch of guys that are fringe NBA players. But, hey, if it gets Marvin Bagley, then I'm all on board. Let's do it. Tank for Bagley. Bomb for Bagley. Hashtag. Bag, bag for Bagley. Hashtag bomb for Bagley. I like it. Or blow it for Bagley if you prefer. Whatever you want. Ryan, do you have any final thoughts? Nope. <laughs>